Hello and welcome to a special episode of Football, the podcast where football meets politics. I'm Dr. Francesco Belcastro. Here with me is my co-host, Dr. Guy Burton. Merry Christmas, Francesco. How are you doing today? Season greetings, Guy. I'm good. I'm good. Season's greetings to you and to me and, of course, to everyone who's listening as well. Um, you know, it is a special episode, isn't it? I mean, we wouldn't expect to be hearing us today, would you? Well, listeners just cannot get rid of us, can they? Even, <laughs> even, even on Christmas Day, we, we're here talking about football and politics. Yeah, we're just imposing ourselves on you. We're, we're, we're so committed to this project that we're, we're not even taking a break during the holiday season. We are, we we? are and, but we got a good reason not to take a mm. break. We got a special episode because there is a, a very important date for, for us football fans on mm. the 29th of December, which is in four days. It's going to be one year since the death of the great Pelé. To many, the greatest uh, football player of non, not not of Argentinian nationality ever to play football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know as a Brazilian, how do you how do you feel about that? But certainly in everyone's top three, you would say. You can see what I'm wearing today, can't yes, you? Yes, you got you got your Brazil Brazil jersey. You you have it on for all of the holidays. So <laughs> I think no, it's, it's not different. <laughs> Christmas is a is a return to childhood for a lot of us, and it looks mm-hmm. like <laughs> that's that's as well in terms of of. Uh, uh, what we are wearing. Okay, mm-hmm. so joining us today to talk about this fascinating topic is Ana Paula da Silva, our colleague from the from Fluminense Federal University in in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have Ana Paula. Ana Paula has worked extensively on different aspects uh, around the issues of race and gender in Brazilian society, and she's also worked on football mm-hmm. and specifically on race uh, in the context in relation to. Uh, Pelé is a symbol of, of Brazilian football. So we're very glad to have her um, here. Uh, hello, Ana Paula. How are you? Uh, hi, I'm I'm fine. Thank you. So invite me for the participating in the podcast. We're very glad to have you. Thanks for finding the time. Okay. So I was wondering if we could start with a sort of um, generic question, if you want. Now, our listeners will know that Brazil is a big football country. Uh, one where where the role of football it's um, is a very important one in society. It's not only a sport. Um, could you tell us a bit about uh, the role of football in in Brazilian society? What kind of role does does the sport have in in the society? Yes, uh, eu vou falar em português porque é mais fácil. É, o futebol é. I will speak in Portuguese because uh, it is easier. Yes, football in and of itself is interconnected with the construction of the modern nation in Brazil. Football was, it was used as the nation's sport. And if we want to think about modernity and what is the nation in modern Brazil, then we have to look at football and think about how it was used over the decades by intellectuals, politicians and scholars who thought about the idea of the Brazilian nation. So, football is intrinsically linked to this construction, to this notion of Brazil as a modern country. Why? Because football came to be seen as a sport that speaks about Brazil. It's as if Brazil had invented a different way than the English, who supposedly brought football from Brazil, which is also a myth of football. It had invented a new kind of football, which is called football art, which will later be constructed as the idea of football art, and which is a genuine way of playing football in Brazil. And with this we can understand the racial issues in Brazil, 
the gender issues, the inequalities, the political struggles around the nation projects that were being endangered in Brazilian society and which involved the construction of football as a national sport. Com isso a gente pode entender as questões raciais no Brasil, as questões de gênero, as desigualdades, as lutas políticas em torno dos projetos de nação que foram sendo engendrados na sociedade brasileira e que passa pela a construção do futebol enquanto esporte nacional. Well, I forgot to say before that Ana Paula is a is a um, Vasco da Gama supporter, isn't she? So Vasco da Gama had some players that that were uh, definitely artists. I mean, the the first one that comes to mind is Edmundo, that was obviously yeah. a, a, an artist and <laughs> and a very interesting character himself. So uh, I would definitely I would definitely um, support that view, mm. guy. So yeah, so we one of the reasons we asked Anna Paula to come and talk to us was because she had written a very interesting, you know, scholarly article about football and race and particularly how it relates to, you know, probably the greatest player of all time, Pelé, and the 1950s in particular. And so one of the things we wanted to talk to Anna Paula about and and hear from you is, you know, how race was understood in Brazil in the 1950s and how it has changed since then and the extent to which Uh, Pele was a representation of, you know, or a particular represented a particular type of understanding about race in Brazil in the 1950s, and how and and to, and in your article you also point out this is actually quite controversial, you know, Pele's association with race. So I wonder if you could talk, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, Pele is um, it's um, sorry, falei em português. Pelé is an interesting figure and is a good case to think about these relationships that I mentioned in the previous question, that is, thinking about the nation, about racial discourses in Brazil, the formation of the nation and the idea of the formation of what would be a Brazilian people. In the 50s, Pelé emerged as a great football star after winning the 1958 World Cup. And he quickly became an example of what black people could be like in the 1950s. This is the point I make in my book, or rather an article, because the book is from my doctoral thesis, Pelé de Viralatas, or mongrel, as uh, known in English, complex, that is to say, a discourse on race and modernity in Brazil, which was published by the Federal Fluminense University Press. The racial discourse at the point when Pelé emerged was a discourse about discipline and professionalism in the extreme. It is a notion that inequalities, both socioeconomic and racial, and in relation to black people, in relation to minority groups, poor people, black people, indigenous people, would be resolved through this extreme professionalism and this 
this discipline. So Pelé was at the extreme end of this model of representation, that all you had to do was to be a competent, capable, extremely professional, disciplined person. It was a recurring word at that moment, discipline. It was also a time when Brazil was undergoing accelerated industrialization. The Industrial Revolution, so to speak, in Brazil, reached its peak in the 20th century, in the 1950s and 60s. That is when the industrial parks in Sao Paulo were growing. So, it is a Brazil that is increasingly urbanized and industrialized. The idea of professionalism and discipline, they are linked to this notion of social mobility, that you rise socially, economically, by being disciplined and professional. And this was also a discourse in the black movements of the time. All the material I researched from the newspapers publishing about the black movements talked about this and Pelé was the great example. Unlike Gahincha, another football star of the time, for example, Gahincha did not represent this vision of professionalism and discipline in the 1950s and 60s. He was the opposite of that. He was a person understood as a person who doesn't keep schedules who didn't have discipline, who didn't have any of that. So Pelé was the example, but he became controversial in the 1970s. Soon after he won the 1970 World Cup, he became controversial because the discourse of the period was changing. It no longer revolved around this notion of discipline and professionalism. Instead, it was around an affirmation of identity. You had to fight for your identity. So the debates involved identity. In other words, it was not enough for you to be black, professional and successful. You had to raise the flag. You had to talk about the problems that black people suffered in life. You had to be more identity-oriented. And Pelé did not take this stance on identity. As he had done during the 1950s, he continued to assert himself as a professional and disciplined person. So he became controversial, because just as Cahincha was controversial in the 1950s and 60s, Pelé became controversial from the 1970s, because he doesn't change. Things get complicated, because... Pelé is not like Gahincha, while the figure of Gahincha is very much centered and understood in the Brazil of the period. Pelé, despite being controversial in the 1970s, became a public and internationally known figure. Because of his contractual situation at the time, he then went on, for salary reasons, to the United States. A lot of great stars from around the world were hired to play football in the United States at the time. When Pelé left Brazil, he was the face of Brazil.
But the change in discourse around him made the figure of Pelé difficult and problematic. He was controversial inside Brazil, yet ubiquitous outside of Brazil. He was the face of Brazil outside of Brazil. Ao mesmo tempo que ele é absolutamente controverso e polêmico dentro do Brasil, ele é uma unanimidade fora do Brasil e a cara do Brasil fora do Brasil. Yeah. Guy, another another time we need yes. to uh, we need to bring Ana Paula in and ask her about Socrates and and, oh, and what that symbolizes for my, my favorite player, my favorite <laughs> for, for what he does, you know, his, yeah. his political activism. É, Socrates é um bom exemplo porque Socrates mm -hmm. is a good example because Socrates appears at this moment of politicization. What is happening at this time? The end of the 70s is the end of the military dictatorship, where most social movements are resuming their activities. And among them are the black movement, the women's movement, the rights movement, the gay movement at the time. Social movements are all recovering at this point. So these banners of identity are much more prominent than they were in the 1970s or in the 1950s in Pelé's time. In the 1980s, Socrates and another figure, Paulo César Caju, who is also a Brazilian national team player and who was an activist in the black movement at the time, they became symbols of the period while Pelé was a controversial one. Paulo César Caju becomes an example of the black person in football, much to the detriment of Pelé. Caju is an activist talking about black causes, talking about racial inequalities in Brazil, for saying that slavery had not ended in Brazil. He and Pelé had little in common on this. Pelé simply said, no, the fact that I am a successful, disciplined, professional and black person is enough. But at that moment, it wasn't enough. It was a time of denunciations. And Socrates was a product of this political moment. Socrates was a political activist who campaigned, who made demands, who denounced the military dictatorship and its torture, that the military must be punished. So Socrates was an activist player. Paulo César Caju was also a militant player, was also an activist player. Pelé excluded himself from this place, from political activism, from the activism of the social movements. Se exime dessa, desse, desse lugar da militância política, da militância dos movimentos sociais. Thank you very much. That's so fascinating. Thank you very much. Ana Paula, I I just will run a couple of questions that I have together for you now that because we're obviously talking about the changes that are taking place from the 1950s and 60s into the 70s. But if we now talk about today, you know, is football and race still connected? You know. We know, for example, that there is strong partisanship around the Brazilian football shirts, you know, the, the yellow shirts of, 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 of the national team, the Seleção. You know, supporters of the former president, you know, Bolsonaro, used to wear it at rallies and make it theirs. 
Um, does does the shirt and does football identify itself in a racial way today? And and overall, what would you say is is the state of of race and and racial relations both in Brazil generally, but also more specifically in in football? Raça e futebol ainda é um ainda tem uma conexão muito forte, mesmo nos dias de hoje. Até porque grande parte ainda dos jogadores de futebol futebol still has a very strong connection. Even today, especially because a large proportion of football players are still from the lower classes. Today we have middle class people, but the vast majority of Brazilians come from the popular classes. They are poor and non-white, black, brown, indigenous people. These are the people who are dreamers in Brazil. Because the country still has so many inequalities and still reproduces so many inequalities, Being a football player is still the big dream for the vast majority of kids from the lower classes. So, race and football do connect, and they also connect in debate over what to do about it. Because today, we have several campaigns in relation to racism in football. Today, there is much more open talk about racism in football, about prejudice. Today, organized fans are much more involved in policing this, for example, in relation to racist chanting in stadiums. The black movement has managed to bring the issue of racial inequalities in Brazil into the public debate, and I think they are doing it in a positive way. Look, Brazil is a racist country. It's a racially unequal country. Black people don't have opportunities. They never have historically. Because it's a country that was the last country in the world to abolish slavery in 1888. Despite this, Black people were not incorporated. They were not recognized as full citizens. This is a debate that is happening in football, too. Today, football players denounce racism. They denounce insults against them. They denounce when there is any kind of racist attack. This is something that would have been unthinkable, for example, 20 or 30 years ago. So, there has been reflection on this. Yes, race and football are still important topics in Brazilian sport, in football particularly. It has been especially problematic within football. In relation to Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro hijacked the national symbols, the Brazilian shirt, the flag. He has brought back a racial discourse from the turn of the 19th century into the 20th that I talked about in my book, a discourse about whitening of the Brazilian population. This was the idea that the Brazilian population would only be modern, it would only enter modernity, it would only be a country recognized as a modern country if it became white, if Brazil was a white country.
And so, Brazil had an active whitening policy. Brazil brought in a large number of European emigrants for these purposes. It was a state policy, and Bolsonaro then brought back the logic of this racial discourse, that a white Brazil is a good Brazil, a modern Brazil, that a white Brazil is not an indigenous or black Brazil. So, the shirt of Brazil's national football team became identified with Bolsonaro's good citizen. What is a good citizen? It is a clean citizen, a eugenized or improved citizen, in terms of his socioeconomic and racial aspects. In other words, for Bolsonaro, this good Brazilian citizen, he wasn't black, he wasn't indigenous, he wasn't poor, only a good citizen could therefore be allowed to wave the Brazilian flag and wear the Brazilian national team's shirt. It's interesting, because it does not mean that all Bolsonarists are all white, but this is the model, the ideal. Mas o modelo é esse, o ideal é esse. Can I? Yeah, yeah. So the last question we wanted to ask you is: it's you've written on um, the World Cup in 2014, and particularly on on the issue of prostitution and sexual tourism around that, um, has been something you research extensively. Um, could we, however, ask you to tell us a bit what the social impact of the World Cup has been? Uh, on Brazil now uh, nine years afterwards, is it? Approaching 10 years. From your point of view, what has changed? What has been the impact of the of the World Cup? É interessante porque a Copa é, a Copa de, de 2014 foi envolta de controvérsias e polêmicas. It's interesting because the World Cup, the 2014 World Cup, was full of controversies and conflicts. At first, it was very well accepted, but as the World Cup approached, there was a movement against the World Cup. There were many demonstrations. The demonstrations had their origins in the protests against public transport fare increases, which eventually overthrew President Dilma Rousseff. They constituted a change in public opinion towards the Lula and Dilma Rousseff governments, which governed Brazil between 2003 and 2016. The World Cup was a major investment in Brazil, with many structural works, with sudden changes. In Rio de Janeiro, for example, there were expropriations of houses where World Cup projects were built. It was not a peaceful moment, and it can't be said that the legacy was very small. What we saw happening around the 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Olympics was a Brazil that was turning to the extreme right, which ended up being captured by this extreme right, and which attributed the corruption around these mega-events as a major focus of Brazil's problems. 
In relation to sex tourism and prostitution, my colleagues and I have written a number of articles about it, because we started to realize that these mega-events, not only in Brazil, but in other places, other countries in the world, have become justifications to control and criminalize already marginalized populations. The campaign against sex tourism actually turned into a form of criminalization of certain social groups that were already socially excluded. There was more persecution, more controls on the population with the removal of these people from certain places. We began to realize that this wasn't only happening in Brazil that other countries that had also held mega-events had been transformed, that these mega-events had provided an opportunity to exclude and persecute certain marginalized social groups. Among them are sex workers who were removed, were arrested, who, in short, had their rights forfeited. And it wasn't only sex workers, but also any other informal worker, like street vendors. These people were being completely excluded because the idea is to sanitize to clean the city for the mega-event, so you couldn't have these groups of people on the streets. These are policies to combat sex tourism and prostitution. This does not mean that we do not have to protect these people from danger. But we do need to think that these mega-events were also used to persecute them to remove them, to move them away from their work and their living and coexistence spaces. Well, thank you very much, Ana Paula. Yeah, well, thank you, Paula, Ana Paula. It was really helpful. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you for inviting me in the, the conversation. All right, that was great. I really, really enjoyed that. Guy, do we need to remind our listeners uh, anything else? Yes. I mean, as we usually do at the end of these shows, we ask our listeners that if they liked it, if they could sort of either like the episode on the pl platform where they get the, get, the, get the podcast, if they could share it with their friends, if they could get their friends to listen to us, uh, if they would subscribe themselves so they can get, get it in their uh, inboxes as soon as it arrives on the Monday. Uh, and also, if they would like to get in touch with us as to things that they would like us to explore and guests they'd like us to talk to, uh, we are accessible or contactable on a number of different social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, slash X, Blue Sky, and Instagram. Yeah, so I need to remind the listeners, this is the last episode yes, of the year, yeah. right? So in 2024, if we get enough listeners, Guy is going to buy out the show town. <laughs> so please 
share the share the podcast as much as you can if we what's the number uh, guy yeah but don't forget don't forget what christina filipu our guest told us that you know buying a football club was a really bad idea <laughs> yeah she did say that and then uh, so if people want to go and check that episode that's that, that's why guy is not buying not the football yet, club because no. it's apparently it's not a good idea it's not yet <laughs> not a good exactly. investment but anyway yeah, but, but but speaking of which we are we we have an episode next week as well even though so we're still continuing through the holiday season aren't we we have an episode yes so it's going to be our guest next yeah, week it's uh, heather dicta who is a lecturer over at de montford university who's a historian and looks at sport diplomacy so it's going to be a very historical mm -hmm. one but we're also going to talk about a few a few modern yes, things as well i think so it's going to be and very that interesting is on coming out uh next week isn't it on monday which is actually also new year's day so a good yep. good yeah, start so I hope to the I, year i would say definitely so i, I hope the listeners have a, have a good mm -hmm. celebration i hope you do as well and we'll see you all or listen to, to yes, us next I would, week. I would say Monday. if you're going out to have a party on New Year's Eve, make sure that uh, you know you leave a little bit spare so you can listen to us on on the first. Great cure for hangover. Absolutely, Angover. and uh, great. Anyway, take <laughs> care, Francesco. Have a good rest of the holiday season, and see you next week, next year actually. Take care. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye. Yeah. Bye, bye.